We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Of reading from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with the shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deepen the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By, the, by, by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his, love, his song is with, it, with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Seats. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are so grateful at, that you give us words to process some of the most difficult emotions, emotions that we don't want to deal with, emotions that we do not want to reveal to others, emotions like despair. Uh, then, and Lord, you not only speak to our despair, you understand our despair, and you are the one that can deliver us from our despair. And all of us need to hear this this morning, uh, because whether we're in the middle of despair, whether that's where we are living now, or we just know someone who is living there, Lord, it will come to us all one day, and, and Lord, we need you. We are all broken, we are all weak, and Lord, we forget who you are far too easily. So Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in the power of your spirit this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, um, we had to make a last-minute trip during Thanksgiving to Los Angeles, where my grandmother lives and where my wife's family lives. We had to go because my grandmother had been struggling with dementia for years, and she finally reached the point where she could not take care of herself. She could not be independent. She had to go 
into a home. And there was nobody, no, no family in the area who, who really had the bandwidth to, to take her in. And so we took this last minute trip and I split my time between my wife's family and my family. And uh, during the day, uh, we, would, uh, we would be at her apartment cleaning up her things, figuring out which stuff gets thrown away, which stuff gets given away. Uh, she had a, a tiny little cabinet where all her earthly possessions uh, could be stored in her room in this nursing home. And the other time, we were with her in the nursing home, and it was incredibly sad. Um, on the last day of the trip, Saturday, I'd spent the entire morning um, in my grandmother's apartment getting rid of stuff, and then the afternoon with my grandmother, and as I said goodbye, she started uh, to, to beg me to take her with me. She said, can't you just take me home? It was one of the saddest things um, I've ever experienced uh, because we couldn't take her home. She really had no home. This is where her home would be from, from now on, this place that she did not want to be. Uh, and I, I went back to visit my, to, to, to my, my wife's family to pick up the rest of my family. We had to drive back up to the Bay Area that night because I was preaching the next Sunday. I was exhausted, mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, and my sister-in-law asks me, how are you, Dave? And uh, I said, I'm good. And I tried to grin. And she looked at me and she said, no, Dave, how are you? How's, how's your grandma? And um, she pushed. And uh, I looked at her. And I couldn't say, I'm good. Uh, so tears started flowing. And I said, I'm not good. This has pretty much been one of the worst days of my life. Um, why did I feel like I needed to tell my sister-in-law? She's family. I like her. She likes me. Why, why did I feel like I had to tell her that I was good when I was so not good? Why did I feel like I needed to hide the despair that I was actually feeling? Well, it's because no one wants despair. And, uh, you know, it's... it's it's not, it's not nice to bring everybody else down, especially in, in a time like Thanksgiving. And I had convinced myself that uh, if, I, if I told her how I was really feeling, that, uh, that, it, that she would think less of me because I would ruin the mood uh, in, in the room. Have you ever felt like you needed to hide your despair? Have you ever felt like your despair was unwelcome? Uh, to some of the people maybe even closest to you, certainly the people that you're sitting next to at church on a Sunday. During the greeting time, have you ever felt safe to share, I'm feeling a little bit of despair this morning? Well, the incredible thing about Psalm 42 and others like it is that God actually not only gives us language to help us think about and understand our despair, he actually invites us to bring our despair to him he actually wants our despair. And he not only wants our despair, he gives us the words to articulate our despair, to describe our despair to him. So we're going to look at how to do that this morning. We're going to look at how to bring our despair to God. That's what an authentic relationship with God looks like. We've been looking in this sermon series at authentic faith 
We've been talking about how God wants a real relationship. The real God wants a real relationship with the real you. And if you want that, that means that you need to learn how to bring your despair to God. So three things we're going to look at this morning. Number one, we're going to look at what despair says. Number two, we're going to look at what despair asks. And number three, we're going to look at how to talk back to your despair. So start with the first point, what despair says. Uh, the psalmist that wrote Psalm 42 was in despair. Uh, it's, this psalm is filled with agony and despair. He says that he's downcast three times. We don't know what's going on in his life. He doesn't give us many details. We don't need to know, actually, because the circumstances of despair are not nearly as important as we think they are. Uh, despair hit Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, when he was turning 50. Uh, he had everything that he had ever dreamed of. He was already a world-renowned writer in his own lifetime, considered one of the greatest writers of all history. Uh, he lived in a huge mansion. He was happily married. He had many children. His wealth was growing. He was famous. People treated him well. Uh, in his own words, he said that, I, uh, that, that it would not be inaccurate to say that he was a celebrity. But then, as he was turning 50, he writes this. He says, my life came to a stop. I could breathe, eat, drink, and sleep. Indeed, I could not help but breathe, eat, drink, and sleep. But there was no life in me because I had no desires whose satisfaction I would have found reasonable. If I wanted something, I knew beforehand that it did not matter whether or not I got it. If you're wondering what despair sounds like, that's it. I don't want anything. I don't even know what to want. My life is over. I don't want to eat. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to laugh. I don't want to be around people. And the thing is, despair could hit anyone. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. Uh, if you want to understand why despair is so dangerous and why it hits us, you can't just look at your circumstances because sometimes when everything is going well, when you feel like you've accomplished everything you've wanted, despair will still come to you. And despair says three things in Psalm 42. It will say these three things to you. Number one, there's no point. Number two, I don't care. And number three, it's too late. The first thing despair says is there's no point. That's why the psalmist describes himself as a deer. Uh, picture, why a deer? Well, if you've ever been around deer, you know that they're helpless. When a deer is faced with danger, they don't fight. They don't dig in their hooves. They run. They scatter. Right? But the deer in Psalm 42 is actually not just an ordinary deer. It's a thirsty deer. And it's not just a thirsty deer. It's a deer in the Middle East. This is not an Oakland Hills deer. <laughs> frolicking, prancing. This is a panting deer in the Middle East. And this deer does not have the energy or the strength to run away. The thing that it most wants to do. See, despair says there is no point. Despair convinces you that you are trapped, you are powerless. There's nothing you can do, so why bother trying? Nothing will make a difference. Have you ever felt that way? Have you felt trapped? 
Have you ever felt powerless? That's despair talking to you. The second thing despair says is, I don't care. The psalmist writes, my tears have been my food day and night. And it's so similar to what Tolstoy was saying, how he didn't want to eat or drink. My tears have been my food day and night. He can't stop crying, but the bigger problem than his tears is that he doesn't want to eat. He's not taking care of himself. He's living a joyless life. G.K. Chesterton said, despair does not lie in being weary of suffering, but in being weary of joy. Despair says that there is nothing in this world that can bring you happiness. That's such a profound thing to understand, and it's so true because despair refuses to believe that there is joy in this life that is worth pursuing. Why even bother? Why even try? Even if you get it, it's empty, it's meaningless. Despair turns away from the simple joys of fresh air and cold water and fresh fruit and good company. And it says, nothing in this life, nothing can bring me any joy. Have you ever said, I don't care? I don't care. I don't want to go out. I don't want to eat. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to watch a movie. I don't want to be around anyone. There is no joy that would move me in any way right now. Well, that's despair talking to you. That's despair. The last thing despair says is that it's too late. In verse 7, the psalmist says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. The psalmist is writing in the past tense. This has already happened. He's not saying, I'm drowning. God, help me. He's saying, God, I'm, I've drowned. The waves have already swept over me. It's too late. No one can save me now. No one can help me now. And the reason despair feels this way is because despair convinces us that we are actually not worth saving. We are not worth fighting for. It's too late. I'm too damaged. I'm beyond saving. Have you ever felt that way? That is despair talking to you. See, what despair says is more dangerous than the things in our lives that we think causes our despair. You could experience these things when you are in prison, or you could feel them while you're on vacation. You can experience despair when you're alone for the holidays, or you could experience despair while you're lying in bed next to your spouse. You could experience despair when you're struggling to get by, or when you have more money than you know what to do with. Despair touches us all. Why? This brings us to our second point, what despair asks. See, despair asks questions. Despair asks, where is your God? Verses 3 and 10. It asks, why have you forgotten me? Verse 9. And it asks, why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Verse 9. These questions point to a philosophical problem called the theodicy. The theodicy says if God is all good and all powerful, then he would prevent evil, but since evil exists, God must not be truly good or truly powerful, or God must not exist at all. See, despair makes us question 
God's existence. It alienates us from God. It makes us ask, where is your God? Why have you forgotten me? The universe is against me. And this is why despair can hit anyone at any time. There's a sad scene in the end of the book, The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. It's the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia. And after the battle, after the victory, uh, the dwarves who have been imprisoned in this barn um, are, are, are joined by the rest of the party. And the stable has been magically transformed into a, a garden. On the outside, it looks like a barn, but inside it's this lush garden with delicious ripe fruit hanging from trees. And everyone in the barn is eating to their heart's content. It's a party. It's a victory celebration. But the dwarves are huddled together with their eyes closed, and they refuse to open their eyes. They have convinced themselves that they're still in prison. Finally, Aslan himself, the lion who created and rules Narnia, comes to the barn, and he presents, he shakes his mane, and instantly there's this glorious feast that appears in front of the doors. There's pheasant and trifles and all kinds of pies and goblets of wine, and the dwarves start eating, except they're convinced that the food is actually the type of things that you would find in a barn. They, they, they pick up a, a pheasant and they say, this, this tastes like straw. I can't believe they're serving me dirt. I can't believe they gave me a goblet of water from that trough. Finally, they say that they're, they, they, they're exhausted. Uh, they eat the food. They start fighting each other because they're convinced each dwarf has something better than they do. And then when the fight's over, they say, we haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarves are for the dwarves. Aslan looks at this, the children look at this, bewildered, like, what in the world is going on? What's wrong with these dwarves? And Aslan says this. He says, they, have, uh, they will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their minds, yet they are in that prison and so afraid of being taken in that they cannot be taken out. See, the, prob the problem with the dwarves is that they don't want to be taken in. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to believe in something that will disappoint them. They don't want to want a joy that will leave them joyless. And this is a vivid picture of the way despair can prevent you from receiving the help that God offers you. See, despair hits us all because we are all alienated from God. We are all suspicious of who God is. Whether you believe the claims of Christianity and are having trouble trust, trusting God in, in the hard things that you're facing in your life, or you're unconvinced of the claims of Christianity, or somewhere in between, all of us actually have a hard time believing that God has presented us with a feast. We look at the things that we're dealing with and we, we say, God, why have you given me this straw? Why this dirty water? Why do you hate me? When in fact... God is right in front of us offering a feast of grace. Tim Keller, he puts it this way in his book, Walking with God Through Faith and Suffering. I think it's so insightful. He says, modern discussions of the problem of suffering start with an abstract God. A God who, for the sake of argument, is all-powerful and all-good, but who is not glorious, majestic, infinitely wise, beginningless, and the creator and sustainer of all things, 
No wonder then that modern people are far more prone than their ancestors to conclude that if they can see no good reason for a particular instance of suffering, God could not have any justifiable reasons for it either. The thing that we need most when we are suffering, the thing that we need most when we feel despair is God's help. But it's so hard for us to trust. We say, if God is good, he wouldn't let this happen. If God is powerful, he wouldn't let this happen. But we miss the rest. We miss his glory. We miss his majesty. We, we miss his infinite wisdom. We miss his loving kindness. If you want help with your despair, you need to stop listening to what your despair says. You need to stop listening to what your despair asks. You actually need to talk back to your despair. So how do you do that? How do you talk back to your despair? Well, there's a chorus at the end of each stanza of this psalm. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's talking back to his despair. He's questioning his despair. If you want to overcome your despair, you have to question it and argue with it. Listen to the way that the psalmist questions his despair. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He's cross-examining his despair. He's saying, do you really have a good reason to be hopeless? Sure, something bad happened to you, or you're feeling really bad about something right now, but why do you feel like there's no point? Why don't you care? Why do you feel like it's too late? What's really driving you, your despair? Why are you so far from God? See, the psalmist isn't naive about his hope. He isn't just hoping for the best. This isn't wishful thinking. He's realistic about the problems that he's facing, which is why he's praying his despair to God. But he's also realistic about his despair. He's actually suspicious of his despair. He isn't naive about his despair. He sees that his despair may be misplaced. So do you know how to question your despair? It's actually not that hard. You just need to learn how to talk like a three-year-old. Have you ever had a conversation with a three-year-old? Right? Like, it's time to brush your teeth. Why? Well, because if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to get a cavity. Why? Well, because you need to keep your teeth clean. Why? Because you need your teeth to eat. Why? Because you need to eat to live. Why? Right? Three-year-olds, they, they, they love to ask why. And uh, why, why do they love to ask why? Well, it's, one is because they don't really understand how to carry on a conversation. Their skills, their social skills are limited. <laughs> but it's also because they are living in a world where there's so much they don't understand. Why? 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 Why does, this, why, why does this work this way? Why does this happen? So to question your despair, you need to begin with the assumption that you don't understand your despair. You need to be suspicious of your despair. And the fact is, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us truly understand what we're feeling when we're feeling despair. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Because somebody's criticizing me. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Because this person has it all wrong. Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
because I need people to know that I'm a decent person. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Because in the depths of my soul, I don't truly believe that God unconditionally loves me. Just keep asking why until you get to the bottom. And the good news is that despair always has a bottom. You will not go on forever. There will be something that has alienated from you, you from God, that has blinded you from seeing how God loves you and how God cares for you that has led to your despair. Your despair does not go on forever. And the amazing thing is when you get to the bottom of your despair, you don't stop there. You actually need to stop asking why, and you now need to start preaching to yourself. That's what the psalmist does. He says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's preaching to himself. He's saying, it's not really that bad. You have a Savior. God loves you. You can put your hope in God. How do you preach to yourself? Well, all you really need to do is start with the words, it's not that bad, and fill in the blank with the truth about God that you know from the Bible. It's not that bad. God loves you. It's not that bad. Your sins are forgiven. It's not that bad. God is with you, and he's never going to leave you. It's not that bad. God is wiser than you. It's not that bad. God is in control. It's not that bad. At the end of all of this, God is going to give you a crown of glory. It's not that bad. And the best news of all is that despair has no bottom, but the gospel has no ceiling. You will never run out of reasons to say that it is not that bad because God's grace, his glory, his love for you is limitless. It is boundless. You will never run out of the amazing truths about the God who loves you and who saves you. John Newton puts it this way in his hymn, Amazing Grace. He says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Isn't that an incredible thought that you could spend 10,000 years in heaven and feel like you're only beginning to understand the glory and grace of God in your life? What about those times when you can't bear to question your despair or to preach to your despair? Well, then you can pray your despair, which is what this psalm is. Just pray your despair. Just let it out. Just tell God what you're feeling. Tell God what you're thinking. And, that, and that, when, what I love about this psalm is that the psalmist not only needs not only questions himself once, not only preaches to himself once, but he does it twice. In fact, he does it a third time in Psalm 43. If you look at Psalm 43, it ends in the same way. All right. He's questioning himself and preaching to himself. He's doing it over and over again. He never graduates from his despair. You see, the Christian life is not now you believe in God, now you, you trust in God's goodness to you, and now everything's going to be okay, and you're never going to experience despair, you're never going to feel hopeless, everything's going to be great. The gospel is actually 
no matter how hopeless you get, Jesus will be there. No matter how hopeless it will get, God will give you a reason to put your hope in him. How can you believe that this is true? How can you know that you can put your hope in God? You can know because of this table. You know, in John chapter 19, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of his last words was, I'm thirsty. And when he said he was thirsty, they gave him a sponge of sour wine, which actually made his thirst worse. It was a way of torturing him. He got no relief for his thirst. But more than even just his physical thirst, he was thirsty because he had been crucified. He was losing body fluids. He was out and exposed under the Middle Eastern sun. He was physically thirsty, panting, dying, dehydrated. But even more intense than that was his spiritual thirst. He was thirsty for the presence of God. He was panting for the presence of God. If God, his father, had only given him one glance, one look of affection, one assurance that he was with him, he could have faced the cross. He could have faced anything. But the father turned his face from his son, his son whom he loved. Why? He did it for you and for me. He did it to pay for the sins of people like you and me. And on the cross, Jesus experienced despair that is bottomless. Bottomless despair. So that you can know that no matter what happens in your life, there is a bottom to your despair. And you can receive boundless grace, boundless love, a love that heals and transforms. Jesus did this for you. And so no matter what happens, no matter how dark it gets, you can know beyond the shadow of the doubt that it is not hopeless. It's not that bad. God is with me. He loves me. And he's coming for me. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this bread and this wine. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that in a world full of, uh, full of trouble, a world where even the best things cannot truly satisfy us or take away our despair, that on the cross, through the body that was torn and through the blood that was shed, that you have given us a way out, Lord, that we can know that despair will not go on forever, but your love will. Help us to believe that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.